Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. This is the second week of a two-part series in between. Uh, Where this series came about was that in December, I started to kind of get this idea from looking at my Facebook feed and listening to the media that there was a strong sentiment going on amongst my friends and amongst our society and probably in our church as well, uh, where a lot of people were just really hanging out for 2016 to come to an end. Lots of memes going up on Facebook, lots of things going on on the radio, people saying, get me out of this year, this has been the worst year ever. And I thought, what is going on about that? What is going on with that, that this has been such a year with such a strong sentiment of disillusionment about life and about the world uh, and probably about God. And so I wanted to speak uh, very deliberately over these two weeks uh, into what has been going on for us in the disappointments of 2016 and how we hold that intention with the hopes that we might have uh, for 2017 as we stand in this in-between period. Um, The disappointments very much still in one one hand from 2016 and the hopes and dreams that we have for 2017 very much in the other hand. Um, how do we move forward into this new year in such a way that we actually get to experience the full and rich life that God promises to us, uh, that we yearn for uh, and that we are born to experience? As a recap, if you weren't here last week, we said that as Christians, as the people of faith in God, the people who have confidence in what we hope for, And assurance about what we do not see, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it in chapter 11, verse 1. um, What do we do when the disappointments of the year start to shake our confidence in who God is? When you cry out for God's help, but he doesn't come through when you want him to. What do you do when you start to question God's love for you because you don't understand his timing or his ways? We learned last week that God's love and God's timing are not incompatible, that in fact his love motivates his timing. We said that love gives birth to life and because God loves us, he chooses the course of action that will will ultimately be the most life-giving for us, uh, even though it might not feel like it to us at the time. Because he, Jesus, is the resurrection and the life as he shows us in this passage that we'll look at today. Sometimes he delays so that we might experience the power of his presence in the midst of our pain and believe and therefore find life. We talked about last week how the basis for walking confidently this year, for experiencing something of the full, rich, transforming life that we are born for, that we yearn for, is firstly turning to Jesus with your if-onlys. We see both Martha and Mary, the sisters of this man Lazarus who died and who Jesus raised to life. We see them turn to Jesus with their if-onlys. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He said, what is your if only from 2016, no matter how big or small? What's the if only that you can come to God with to invite him into the place of your pain and your disappointment, to experience his presence and his life there? And it's also seeking, as we move forward into this new year, we talked last week about seeking God's wisdom and his perspective so that you might walk by the light and not stumble by trying to interpret God's actions through human wisdom especially when he acts outside of how we think a loving God ought to act. Human wisdom, you see, calls God's heart into action when we can't make sense of what his hands are doing. And so in turning to God in our disappointment and seeking his wisdom, what we get is his presence and his light. Put another way, we get the light of his presence 
which is our source of hope as we press into this new year and which I want to unpack for us this morning. And so the question for today then is this, what difference can the light of Jesus' presence with us make for your 2017? What does it mean for finding hope for the year to come? Well, as we stand at the beginning of a new year, it's obvious, isn't it, that we all yearn for hope and transformation and change, a hope of change and transformation. That's what New Year's resolutions are all about, right? We hope that things will be better. We hope that things will change. Uh, We have this imagined future that's better than the present reality because something about the the present will have changed. Um, That change might be finding work, it might be things improving at work, it might be finding a spouse, it might be things in your marriage being better, it might be having children, it might be having a better relationship with your children, it might be finding peace or rest or security or whatever it is, there's this imagined reality that we have that's better than the present reality because something about the present has changed. Um, all of these are signposts of a, to a common yearning that sits beneath them. Uh, it's a yearning for an experience of life that's more whole and more full, where things are as they ought to be. Uh, what the, Bible, the Bible describes this as life. When the Bible talks about life, this is what it means. It's this full, rich, whole experience of existence. It's the kind of life we yearn for in the midst of disappointment and in the midst of pain, a life of wholeness and beauty and justice and reconciliation. And particularly in the midst of disappointment and pain, when things haven't gone the way that we have wanted them to last year in whatever big or small way, we long for a fresh life to burst up in the midst of our present reality, overtaking it and making it new. We yearn for transformation. And now our imagined futures where things have changed for the better have immense power to to affect the way that we live in the here and now, to affect our present situations. If our imagined future, for example, is that we get married, then we'll put ourselves in places where we might meet somebody that we could get married to. If our imagined future is uh, things improving at work, then we might get a mentor, we might talk to our boss, we might think about career options. If our imagined future is that we are a more rested person with more emotional capacity, we might decide to take more time out in the here and now. Our imagined, believed in, expected futures affect the way that we live in the present. They have enormous power. Why is that? It's because of this little word, hope. Hope is different to wishful thinking, which doesn't have any expectation or real belief attached to it. Uh, Hope is the power of an expected, imagined future to shape our experience of the present. What we're talking about here is hoping for certain things, hoping for relationship, hoping for fitness, hoping for rest. Um, but for everything that we hope for, there's something that we, something or someone that we hope in or trust to bring about that change or transformation. So if I hope for better fitness, I might hope in my personal trainer if I had one, to bring about that outcome. If I hoped for improvement at work, I might hope either in my abilities or in my boss or in a new job to bring that about. If I hoped for a better year, I might put my hope in New Year's resolutions to bring about that better year. The things that we hope for are the imagined futures that affect the way that we live in the present. 
but the things that we hope in are the ones that we give power to bring that about, the ones that we trust to bring it about, and they're the ones who carry the weight of our expectation to bring our imagined future about. And in fact, I realise that we surrender our experience of the present to those in whom we hope to bring about our imagined future. We give them a sense of control. I hand my present experience over to my imagined personal trainer. Um, I say, okay, I'll be there at six o'clock in the morning. I surrender my experience of life because I'm hoping in them to bring me the fitness that I'm hoping for. I hand my present experience over to my resolutions in the same way, or my work. I let them tell me what to do. I submit to them. I make them my master because I hope in them to bring about the future that I imagine and hope for. Is that making some sense? The difficulty, of course, as 2016 showed us and every year shows us, uh, is that the things that we so hope uh, that we so ho- often hope in to bring about that which we hope for. Um, inevitably let us down. We end up making masters out of things that were never made to master us and things that we were never made to be mastered by. Stock markets crash. People disappoint us. Wealth doesn't satisfy. And so the promise of hope as we turn to this new year actually has little to do with what it is we're hoping for than everything to do with who we're hoping in, the one who has the power to bring it about. You see, there is someone to hope in who has the power to bring about the wholeness that we yearn and hope for, not just in some far, time, uh, far, uh, some far off time and place, but in the same way that our imagined futures affect our experience of the present, he, this one who we can hope in, is powerful to bring the deep life that you hope for into your present, to start to transform your experience of the present when you hope in him to be the one who brings about your imagined future, the life that you hope for. Like the trainer, my imagined personal trainer, he is the one that we can surrender our experience of the present to in the sure hope that he will start to transform our experience of the present with the wholeness of the future. Cool, hey? The story that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in John chapter 11 shows us that Jesus is the only one who can do this for us. He's the only one who can transform our experience of the present with the wholeness of the future. He's the only one who has the power over everything, even over life and death, who loves us and who brings his presence to our pain and who can bring the wholeness of the future to start to transform your present today. He's the only one we can confidently hope in to bring about that which we ultimately hope for. Full, rich life, wholeness, justice, beauty, reconciliation. This story in John 11 shows us that life-changing and confident hope only comes through trusting in Jesus. If you've missed the backstory, let me give you a little recap. Jesus has these three friends, Martha, Mary and Lazarus. And Lazarus gets sick and his sisters call out in hope to Jesus, as so many of us do when things in our life start to go wrong. They call out in hope to Jesus and they they appeal to his character, his love, and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
Now Jesus, because of his love for him, this is this curious part of the story, because of his love for his friends, Jesus delays in going which sounds so, sounds so counterintuitive and is so counterintuitive. And so when he arrives in this town, Bethany, where his friends lived, which was a couple of miles to the east of Jerusalem, when he arrives there, his friend Lazarus has already been dead for four days. If he had left straight away because of the time that it took to travel and for the message to get to him, Lazarus still probably would have been dead for two days. And yet Jesus waits until he's been dead for four Why is that? Well, we said last week in ancient thought, the spirit of a person who died was thought to hover over their body for three days after they died in the hope of resuscitation. So by waiting for four days until he comes, there is no hope left. There is no hope but Jesus left by the time he gets there. And so when he raises this dead man to life, it's clear that it's only the power of Jesus that has done that in order that those with him, Mary and Martha, the disciples, everyone else who has gathered there so that they might believe in Jesus and therefore find life. He delays in order that people might believe and find life because of his love. When Jesus does get there, both Mary and Martha turn to Jesus in their disappointment. They give him their if-onlys. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Martha goes one step further and still expresses her hope in Jesus for the future. She says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus asks Mary to lead him to the place of her deepest pain, her brother's grave, which is something that he asks of each of us as well, to lead lead him to the place of our deepest pain that he might meet us there with his life-giving presence. And we hear twice that Jesus is deeply moved by what he experienced there. Literally in the Greek, it's more to do with anger. He's literally outraged when it says he's deeply moved. And the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's it's a very definite moment, perhaps better translated as Jesus burst into tears. He's so affected by what he sees. And coming to the grave, he commands them to remove the stone. He voices his prayer to God that there might not be no mistaking of where the power of this resurrection comes from. And he calls a dead man to life. Now, what does this story have to do with us? What does this have to do with finding hope for 2017? How does this story show us that Jesus is the only one who we can confidently hope in for this new year? How does it show us that he is the only one who has the power to start to transform our experience of the present? And it's an experience that still carries with us all that 2016 was. That he can transform that with the wholeness of the future. What's the link between this story and us? Why would we hope in him? Why would we submit our lives to him? as we would to a trainer in the hope that they would bring us fitness. Well, because as this story shows us, Jesus is the master of everything. He's even the master of life and death. You know, when you read in the Bible, uh, throughout the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, there are two opposing forces. There's life and there's death. Uh, And in biblical thought, life is what we yearn for. Uh, It's what God has always intended for us. It's wholeness and beauty and justice and reconciliation. That's life. This full, abundant experience of existence that we yearn for with the depths of us. 
And death is more than physical death. It's all the brokenness of life. It's anywhere that life is absent. It's the, culmin- uh, the culmination of death is, the, is physical and ultimately spiritual death. Um, but death in all its experience is sickness and injustice and hatred and brokenness and fractured relationships. It's everywhere that things are not as they ought to be. We see death at work. Anywhere life is absent. And so when Jesus says to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's saying that he's master over life and death and that those who attach themselves to him by believing in him will have access to him, to life himself, to the one who has the power by virtue of his presence to transform any situation that's affected by death, any, any situation where life is missing. John, in this, in this letter, has been showing us all along that Jesus is life. Chapter, in chapter 2, he turned water into wine. In chapter 3, he talked about new spiritual life for Nicodemus. In chapter 4, he talked about uh, life that satisfies thirst to the woman at the well. In chapter 4, he gives life to a dying boy. Chapter 5, he heals a long-time paralytic. In chapter 9, he heals a man born blind. In chapter 10, he talks about how he's the good shepherd who's come to bring life to the full. He brings eternal life, the life of the long-awaited kingdom of God. This Jesus is life. And now, after this whole stretch of the book of John, we come to this miracle where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which the whole book of John has been building up to. And we read in verse 33 that Jesus was deeply moved Angry when he walks into the havoc that death has wreaked on this community. Death outrages him. He hates death and everything that it does to our world and to our lives and to our communities. We see in this moment the determination with which he came to this world to destroy death because of his great love for us and because of how much he wants life for us. B.B. Warfield, one writer, puts it like this. Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. It is death that is the object of his wrath and behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but that is incidental. His soul is held by rage and he advances to the tomb in Calvin's words as a champion prepares for conflict. A calling to his father in verse 41, so that those watching might know that his power comes from God alone. He calls out loudly, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus told them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus Christ is the master of life and death and he proves it by raising Lazarus. But you know, Lazarus was raised to life as he knew it before. He would die again. As much as it shows Jesus' great power, Lazarus' new life is still destructible life. But there was a greater miracle still to come when Jesus' life himself would overcome death 
by rising from the grave himself, breaking death's power once and for all, so that all who believe in him and in so doing attach themselves to him might also experience the miracle of transformation, transforming life, bursting forth in their lives and overcoming the work of death in their lives and in their worlds. This Jesus is building a kingdom where there will be no more death and there will be no more pain, there will be no more fear, there'll be no more tears or suffering. And one day we will experience it fully. But you know, it starts to burst forth today. Jesus brings that future to bear on our present, to transform our experience of the present. That's real hope today. That's real hope for 2017. It's available to you today. In other words, the expected, imagined and hoped for future that all of our little hopes point towards will finally fulfil all our deepest yearnings for life, for wholeness and justice and beauty and reconciliation. One day that will be fulfilled in us, but, but that future will also transform our experience of the present if we hope in Jesus, who is life himself, and in so doing, attach ourselves to him and get to experience his life, the life that runs in his veins can run in ours also. In the Bible, when Jesus makes an I am statement, a claim about who he is, like I am the resurrection and the life, there's a promise that follows it. In this case, it's whoever believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Belief in Jesus grants us access to his life. It's not a promise for a trouble-free life. It's not a promise that all your current circumstances will be suddenly healed and made well in one hit. But it's a sure hope of transformation from the one who brings life to death and beauty from ashes in the midst of our greatest pain and our greatest disappointments. It's a certain hope as we move forward in this new year that not only are we never alone, but the one who is with us is life himself. And he is with us as life to transform our experience of the present in light of the future that is to come. One day, this transformation will be whole and complete and there will be no more brokenness and pain. But it begins today. It's available today. Like a seed of the future planted in the present and started to germinate. Now, how do we experience this? Where are the handles on this? You know, the pain in your life might be as real today as it's ever been. The way that we receive this hope for the future, trans, for the future transforming our present is simply by believing in Jesus, either for the first time or the thousandth time, choosing to believe in him. It can be so easy to want to give up hope, to give up hope in Jesus when you get hit up by disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And when his ways and his timing in our human wisdom seem to call into question his love for us and his heart for us. 
Can I ask you this morning to hope in him, to believe in him, that that is the gateway to accessing his life, his transforming power? Would you hope in him again today? Would you believe in him again today? Everything that is recorded in this book of John is written in order that Um, As John puts it, that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything in this book is there that we might believe in Jesus, including this story, this resurrection of Lazarus. Everything he does in this story, his movements, his timing are in order that his disciples may believe, in order that we may believe. He's glad, for example, he's glad for his disciples that he delayed in verse 14. The delay was in order that God may be glorified and that people may believe and by so doing have access to his life that transforms death. His priority is that people may believe and that orders everything else he does. In verse 25, he says to Martha, this promise of life is for those who believe. In verse 40 to Martha again, he says that if you believed, you would experience the glory of God. You would see the glory of God. And in verse 42, when he's praying to God before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he voices his prayer so that people might believe. The whole thing is geared in order that we might believe and in so doing experience his life that transforms our present in light of the future. He shares his victory over death with all who believe in him, who surrender their lives to him in hope of a life that will be transformed by his power. Hoping in Jesus can transform our lives. Look around you. There are so many stories in this room that show that to be true. So many lives that have been transformed by the life of Jesus because people have chosen to put their hope in him, have chosen to believe in him. You look at the Apostle Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament. He started off killing Christians, encounters Jesus and is radically transformed as someone who is spreading the good news throughout the whole world at the time. Hoping in Jesus transforms lives and can transform your life if you will choose to believe again and not to give up hope. Jesus is the master of life and death and he is building a kingdom where everything one day will be whole. And he has planted a seed of that future in the present to transform the present with his life and by the light of his presence with us in our pain. You can have new, you can have new hope for this new year. There is a future that is bright and if we would hope in Jesus to bring that future about, it will start to transform our experience of the present. This new year, don't give up hope. Don't hope in yourself or in your job or in your wealth. Hope in Jesus. And to conclude, as, as N.T. Wright says, would you exchange your, the if-onlys of your disappointment for an if-Jesus of hope? If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus really lived and died and was raised to life, if Jesus has really conquered the power of death, in light of that imagined future, what could be possible in my present? There is hope for you today for this new year. And it's a hope that can start to transform our experience of the present 
with the glory and the wholeness of the future. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.